Behold, a gateway to your own past, if you wish. Anyway, these types of immature, drunken hijacks are just killing our town. And if we can't trust a 42-year-old man to drink responsibly, then I have no choice but to take action. I hereby raise the town's legal drinking age to 50. What? I can't drink anymore? What am I going to do? What do people do who don't drink? I don't know. This is strange. It's alien. And it won't give us what we would like to have. The West Coco Pharmacy bringing you hour three of our uh, Tuesday, this 24th of January, 2023. Glad you're along with us on 92.7 FM, 1240 or 1350 AM. And of course, the iHeartRadio app, wherever you might be listening live this morning. If it's Tuesday and it's eight o'clock, it's Dave Does History. Dave Bowman joins us from Silverdale, Washington as uh, the topic. Always something from our past that has relevance for our future. Dave Bowman, good morning. How are you, buddy? I'm confused. Why are you confused? I'm, I'm told there was a big to-do in Atlanta this past weekend, but I'm perusing the news, and the only thing I'm seeing is that the iconic Krispy Kreme down on Ponce de Leon Boulevard burned down. You sure it wasn't on Peachtree Street? Just ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure about this. Just turn left at Peachtree. You'll be fine. Oh, uh, okay. yeah, because there's always one near you. <laughs> Probably really? more than one. Probably more than one. So some months ago, Bill, we had a caller, and I don't... You're going to have to forgive me. I don't remember who it was. And I didn't write it down, which is unusual. Um, who asked what I thought the worst amendment to the Constitution was. Which is kind of a loaded question, because you have to assume that if three-quarters of the states ratified it, and in most cases, all of the states ratified them, there couldn't be any bad amendments, right? Well, with a singular Never. exception, but we repealed that one, so... There you go. Uh, okay. If you're a drinker, that was a biggie. It was. The question is uh, is, is kind of an interesting question, though, because it, it he the caller was really pushing towards the 17th Amendment, which, of course, popular election of senators, which was passed in what was known as the progressive era, which doesn't mean progressive in that era didn't mean the same thing that it means now. It's not a. It wasn't necessarily a political question. It was, but it wasn't. It's hard to explain. You, uh, you're you looking at an era basically from 1890 to the end of World War One, so roughly 1920, 1921. During that time, there are actually four constitutional amendments that are passed. It's one of the busiest times uh, other than the post-Civil War era. You've got the 16th Amendment, which becomes the income tax. You have the 17th Amendment, becomes the popular election of United States Senators. Mm -hmm. You have the 18th Amendment, which becomes Prohibition. And then you have the 19th Amendment, which is women's suffrage, giving them the vote. Now, in a lot of ways, at least three-quarters of these particular amendments, these four amendments, are particularly damaging to what is known as strict constructionism. Strict constructionism, when you're talking about constitutional issues, is... I roughly equate it to, in theology, the concept of sola scriptura, that only scripture can interpret scripture. In, in, in some ways, strict constructionism, when you're talking about the Constitution, is only what's on the page counts. There's nothing outside of this page. Which of is course, that not what we ask for when we nominate Supreme Court justices from the right? 
I, I think it's what we think we're asking for, but mm-hmm. I also believe that there's no such thing as strict constructionism. Okay. It's, it's not possible. I don't think any of us actually believe in strict constructionism because it wouldn't make any sense. I mean, how do you, how do you build and maintain a Navy? Well, if it's strict constructionism, well, you got some, some problems there. But if it's not, then you can get outside of that. There is also in this era a growing movement, a growing interpretation in the Supreme Court of the 14th Amendment, which is known as incorporation. The idea that the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the Constitution, actually just the first eight, apply to the states as well as to the federal government. And this is very important because this is really where we're at today. This is why so many things today uh, work the way they do. Mm-hmm. But the thing to keep in mind is that all of these are at least actual amendments. They're not Congress passing a law saying this is the way it is or executive orders being signed off by a president. These are actual amendments voted on by Congress, signed off by the president, and ratified by at least three-quarters of the states. And that's something we need to keep in mind as we talk a little bit more in depth about how these four amendments really affected effectively together are probably the worst amendments. And we'll tell you more about that in 60 seconds. Chateau Madeline, one of our sponsors on Bill McLive. It's resort-style senior living and memory care, centrally located in Suntree, locally owned, and committed to that resort-style environment, as Eric Hardoon, their executive director, came from the hospitality industry. He gets it and understands it, and boy, do they implement it at Chateau Madeline. Take a tour and find out yourself. That's how I saw it firsthand. Great food. Great facilities, great folks. These people love interacting with the residents at Chateau Madeline. It's a place where your senior loved one has a real beautiful home where life can get better with first-class nursing care in play. Call 321-701-8000. Schedule your tour today or go to SuntreeSeniorLiving.com. Give Chateau Madeline a look. Your senior loved one deserves a home like Chateau Madeline. Dave Bowman with us. Dave does history. Dave, we're talking in odd terms, the worst constitutional amendments. Yeah, and I don't even like that phrase. I, I prefer the phrase, I, I don't know, The these are four amendments that changed, along with the 14th, really changed our Constitution into something that uh, may not, well, it's kind of like the ship of Theseus. It may not be exactly what it was when we started, so we got to figure that out. I always love it when history connects personally, I guess, um, most people who know me know that my family is from Oklahoma, and Oklahoma was very, very involved with both the 16th and the 18th Amendments, particularly because Oklahoma, and, and we don't think in terms like this, but Oklahoma was in many ways the heart and soul of the temperance movement of the progressive era. This is, it was really, it, it, and to this day, Oklahoma is still one of the driest states in the entire country. and I know some Hatfields and McCoys back home that would take issue with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because my family has a long history with the Salvation Army, which, of course, is the world's largest temperance organization mm-hmm. and was one of the organizations involved with pushing for two of these amendments, the 16th and 17th, which are inexorably connected. The 16th, the income tax amendment, is connected to the prohibition amendment. Because you couldn't get prohibition until you figured out how to fund the government, which up to that point, the federal government was funded almost entirely by taxes on alcohol. 
But if you have a moral problem with alcohol and you got to get rid of alcohol, how do you fund the government? Mm-hmm. So the 16th Amendment had to pass first. And then in the middle of all this, you get the 17th Amendment, which is this outlier amendment. Many conservatives think that the 17th Amendment is the, the worst amendment. And in, and in some ways it is. But when you can, when you tie the 17th to the 16th and the 18th, then you really got a problem. Because what you've done is you have, in essence, destroyed federalism, which, of course, is what the Constitution was supposed to be, a federalist system where you had dual sovereignty with a national government with few and defined powers, and then you had state governments with also few and defined powers, and then you had the sovereignty of the people. But if you get rid of that, what ends up happening? And you got to keep in mind, Bill, that there were many people at the framing of the Constitution, including both James Madison and Alexander Hamilton, who were absolutely in favor of abolishing state governments and just having one big national government, which, of course, is, you know, that upsets more than a few uh, anti-federalists who think that the the Constitution as proposed is that anyway. Mm -hmm. But these guys, they... They were, By the way, this is a good time to say, go back and listen to last Thursday's Dave Bowman Show podcast. There are links for you at BillMick.com on the show page today. I thought that was interesting and compelling, Dave, as you as you dove into those Federalist, Anti-Federalist issues. Yeah, I would encourage you to listen to all my shows, but, but that's a different subject. <laughs> well, you know, just not, say it on topic. It's that one. Come on. <laughs> they're not all about that stuff, but there you go. Um It's a fascinating look at this thing. The 17th Amendment actually removes the state element, the state representation from the federal government. The state no longer has its representative. It no longer chooses its own representative to go to Washington. And keep in mind that the state's interests might not necessarily be the same as the people's interests. So by making them popularly elected by the people, it removed the state's ability to block legislation that it felt might be detrimental. And there are a lot of conservatives who believe that this is why we have a national debt today, because the states no longer have representative ability to, to block things. And so by removing that and making them popularly elected, it, it, it damaged the idea of both federalism and constructionism at the same time which is a lot of words and it's very complicated, I get it. But the bottom line is you've turned your government into a populist government. Now the president is quasi-indirectly elected popularly. The House is is always elected popularly. And now the Senate is. And you could make an argument that the Supreme Court is appointed popularly because we elect the senators now who, who vote for that. And this is problematic And it does destroy federalism, which is a threat to liberty. And we've got more to dig into with Dave Bowman. With Dave Does History on Bill McLive in this hour of the program, we'll let you in on our last segment at 321-768-1240. We've got one to get through before that, though. And uh, don't forget, our inflation compensation contest runs from the start of Glenn Beck through the end of Sean Hannity. I thought this music started sounding familiar. Of course, we're bumping out with Sticks. Was that the Sticks concert Sunday night? Great, great show. It was amazing. Thanks to the King Center for bringing that great act here. Nonetheless, Dave does history on Bill McLive, and we continue with the worst, most detrimental, 
most questioned constitutional amendments? Dave gives us his look as we continue a Tuesday right here on Bill McLaughlin. Hey, this is Whitey. And this is Hank. And you can listen to our podcast, Two Pint Talk, on all your favorite podcast sources. So come check it out where we talk about two beers and, and everything, stuff. <laughs> listen to Two Pint Talk on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dave Bowman joins Bill for our weekly look at the past. We're kind of hoping to learn something new or at least have some fun, you know? It's Dave Does History on Bill Mick Live. The West Cocoa Pharmacy bringing you this hour of the program. We'll get to your calls on our final segment of the day as we discuss these, oh, let's call them detrimental amendments, at least potentially so as Dave Bowman brings us our weekly look at history. Hey, Dave, where are we at now, pal? So let's keep a couple things in mind Uh-oh, here. Oh, I don't have you turned on. Where Uh-oh. are you at? Oh, I don't know. That turns you on. There you go. This is like lingerie. Uh, yeah, it is. You, you, yeah, well, you don't have a camera looking this way, but it's a nice <laughs> little teddy. You'll enjoy it. Let's keep a couple things in mind here. Um, for us, looking back at these, we see the detriment of some of these amendments. But at the time, the people of the United States wanted this. They wanted the 17th Amendment because they felt that the United States Senate had become, quote, a millionaire's club, unquote, that it was full of corruption and was irredeemable. And it was it was not doing the business of the country. It was just making the people that were there richer. And they felt see the argument. Yep. They felt like, boy, if we elect these people, they'll be accountable to us. And then we won't have to worry about all that. Right. Plus, you had some states that were having problems filling Senate seats and yada, yada, yada. The problem is that I think it's more of a a combined effort. There isn't you can point at one and say, well, it caused this. But when you take them all together, that's when you really see the destruction to federalism. For me, it's more the 16th. Now, that's not because the income tax came out of that. The myth here is that you couldn't have an income tax. That was not true. You could have an income tax, but the Constitution, as unamended, was very specific about how you had to do that income tax, and you were never going to get that to pass because there was a barrier, a very strict constitutional barrier to income taxes, which that they had, which was simply they had to be apportioned. So bigger states were going to pay more than smaller states. It was based on the size of the state rather than the value of your income. And, of course, then you get into, well, how does money distributed? If we're paying more, why don't we get more? And mm-hmm. so the bigger states would, would oppose that. The smaller states didn't really try hard because, you know, what was the point? We did have an income tax during the Civil War, but it ended once the war was over. The What the 16th Amendment did was not make income taxes constitutional. What it did was it removed that barrier. It removed the apportionment barrier. So now direct taxes no longer had to be based on population size. They were just based on your income. So if you're a rich person in Kansas, you were treated the same as a rich person in New York. Who was it that wanted this, you might be saying to yourself? Well, believe it or not, it was moral conservatives like my great-grandparents who wanted this. 
go back to what we were talking about. If you don't have a way to fund the government, if your entire government is funded by excise taxes on alcohol, you got to find a a different way to fund the government in order to push forward with getting rid of alcohol, which, of course, to us seems quaint today. We talk about, you know, you can't legislate morality, blah, blah, blah. But believe me, in the progressive era, the 1890s to the end of World War I, the temperance movement was very, very politically powerful and very politically engaged. And it was, again, a moral issue. So you had a lot of conservative Christian type folks who were pushing for the 16th Amendment because they knew that once they had that, they could get prohibition in place and all the problems that would come with that. We'll tell you more about that in 60 seconds. The West Cocoa Pharmacy, this hour sponsor of the program, service, savings, and speed. They're all about all of those. Being a local pharmacy, they bring advantages that an Internet pharmacy can't bring you. Things like uh, Sedonafil, the generic for Viagra, a penny a milligram. You don't hear that advertised from Internet pharmacies. They'd lose money doing that. West Cocoa Pharmacy can take care of you in that way. They also have free delivery to most of Brevard. Their cost-plus pricing model saves you money every day. And that personalized service lets them work with your doctor to bring you the most cost-effective treatment for whatever it is that's ailing you. Learn more about the West Cocoa Pharmacy online at CocoPharmacy.com or give them a call. It's 321 305-6909 for the West Cocoa Pharmacy. They're bringing you this hour of our program. Dave Bowman with us. Dave does history. So these things acting in conjunction, it sounds like there were some very politically astute people, Dave, who manipulated this into occurrence. You know, we we don't give them a lot of credit. You know, we think we're smarter and wiser and better equipped. but, But really, the progressive era of the United States, and again, I don't mean progressive in the political term of today, But these people understood what they wanted. They understood their goals and they understood they had not gotten to the point where, you know, a stroke of a pen and a phone call could get things done. They still believed in amending the Constitution, which is great. I'm fine with that. I'm just not sure they thought all these things through. When they removed the apportionment portion from the Constitution in the 16th Amendment, it essentially gave the federal government access to unlimited income. I mean, all of a sudden there were no barriers, which, of course, meant that then the 17th Amendment passes and you have no state control over spending. Mm -hmm. So spending by the federal government, the thing we complain about today, becomes very populist. And how do politicians get elected today? By promising to bring home the bacon. We've got a locally announced candidate for the Florida Senate, and his main talking point was all the money he brought home to the district as a state representative, because they think that's what they're there to do. Right. Which, of course, would appall Madison, Hamilton, Washington, the framers of the Constitution, because that's not what this was supposed to be. Well, if you control the money, you pretty much control everything. And now the federal government, through the 16th 17th, and to a degree, the 18th Amendment, now has that. You you factor in the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote, which again, I don't think is a bad thing, but could it be argued that women react more emotionally to things and dependence on things? You know, this government's going to help take care of my family that is broke now because we can't sell alcohol anymore kind of approach to things. So there are elements to all of this. As spending becomes more populist, federal dollars begin to flow to the states 
and controlling the purse strings. And eventually you end up with a situation like we have now, which is, you know, if you don't do what we say, we'll cut off your federal program dollars. Remember the 55 mile an hour speed limit? Mm-hmm. Some states said, hey, that's just stupid. We're raising it. And the federal government said, no, you're not. We'll cut off your federal highway funds. Right. Well, if you don't have a 17th Amendment or a 16th Amendment, <laughs> does that matter? I mean, or do the states say, we don't need you? But now you've got a federal system that's really no longer federalist. It's no longer federalism. It, it's the federal government ruling everything. And it's these four amendments in conjunction, although one of them will be repealed, although all the enforcement agencies that came with it are still with us. So Mm -hmm. really what you've seen in these four amendments from the progressive era is a total destruction combined with the 14th Amendment's concept of incorporation of the federalist system. And you've achieved what Hamilton and Madison wanted, which was basically the neutering of the state governments, and you have a centralized, powerful federal government that decides what money you get and how you're going to spend it. And we see continuing examples, Dave, of what you were talking about with the highway dollars, whether it's what your smoking age is going to be, what your drinking age is going to be, what other things are in play, that if you don't play the way the feds want you to play, we're cutting it. That's why getting rid of the Department of Education would be a good thing if we could make that happen. Which is what I was going to say. The biggest area where this impacts things is education. Yeah, very, very true. One more segment to go of Dave Does History on a Tuesday morning. We let you in when that comes about. You want in on this, the most damaging constitutional amendments, 321-768-1240. And uh, we'll see how things have changed or maybe how they're staying the same. Dave Bowman with us on Bill McLive. Stick around on WMMB. Hi, this is Justine bringing you late night talk for those that go to bed early. Listen to my podcast, What's Justine Thinking, every Wednesday and Friday on Anchor and Spotify. Every day has a call of the day, and it could be you. Call Bill at 321-768-1240 and add your perspective to the conversation on Bill Mick Live. And you can get in with Dave Bowman as Dave does history to close up our Tuesday in an hour brought to you by the West Cocoa Pharmacy. Again, it's 321-768-1240. All right, Dave, we rehash the uh, 16th, 17th, 18th, and throw the 19th in just for fun so we can blame it on the women. Uh, <laughs> there are people who do that. I mean, th- there are people who believe I have that. never heard of such a thing. Mm. Never in my life. Can't imagine who they would be, but there are some people who say that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I-, I go back to my... My basic premise is which the biggest mistake any historian can make is to judge at a different time by our own values. You mean like the woke crowd does with everything going on in society today? Yeah, and even to a lesser degree, the conservative crowd. But I don't, you know, one of the most fascinating conversations I ever had with my grandfather was about some of this stuff. And my grandfather was a very hardcore conservative uh, Christian moralist who wanted to ban everything that he disagreed with, mm-hmm. which strikes me as the kind of people who pushed for the 18th Amendment, but who were willing to compromise some of their beliefs in order to get what they wanted. They they compromised the idea of federalism 
to get the income tax so that they could fund the government. It was this day in history, by the way, today, January 24th, in 1913, that the Supreme Court issued its ruling, Bruchaber versus Union Pacific, which sounds like a strange thing to do, and I'm not going to go through the details of the case, but what you need to know is that that case upheld the law, the 1913 Revenue Act, which Congress passed after the 16th Amendment passed, instituting the income tax without apportionment. The Supreme Court said, nope, that's what the amendment says. This is what it means. And so guess what, Bruchaber? Pay your taxes. Things in this country have changed. The progressive era is what really changed it. That that time frame from 1890 to the end of World War I, 1921-ish, we no longer have a purely federalist system by any stretch of the imagination. And we've seen this in the past. A few years ago, uh, the Arizona state of Arizona passed a border law. I remember this, where they were going to guard the border. And the, and the federal government said, no, you cannot because mm-hmm. you're not federalist. And then California turns around and says, well, we're a sanctuary state. And the federal government turned around and said, no, you can't. And they did it anyway. The interpretation of federalism now seems to depend more on your politics than it does on the Constitution. And because of that, spending, as we you know, talk about on a pretty regular basis, is absolutely out of control. Spending has become, it's become the way of buying votes now because of the popular election of senators, uh, because the federal government has more money than it could, it has more money than Solomon could ever have imagined. It, it would make Solomon blush to see how much money the federal government has, let alone how much debt it's carrying. So then you got to ask the question, Bill. The 18th Amendment turned out to be wildly unpopular and was eventually repealed. Could we repeal the 16th Amendment or the 17th Amendment? I wouldn't even bring up the 19th Amendment, but could we repeal any of those? Oh, it's technically possible. I don't think it's practically doable at all. No, politically it would never it, it would be as big a political non-starter as the as the as the flat tax is going to be this week in Congress. It's mm-hmm. If you even proposed this, let's repeal the 16th Amendment or the 17th Amendment, you would hear arguments that would make Georgia howl, much as Sherman did once upon a time, and make the entire nation scream like that. You would be told that you are anti-whatever, and and, and eventually, well, you, you can almost hear this argument. Well, if you want the 16th Amendment repealed, why not the 13th Amendment, too, and so forth and so on. So we're stuck with this. Which means that we've got to figure out a way to get our politicians uh, to stop being populist, but I don't see that happening either. So, Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't see that being something that will have a chance of happening. And we continue with your thoughts at 321-768-1240 for Dave Bowman. And Dave does history here on Bill McLive in just a minute. Dave Bowman, the Constitution, and Dave does history on Bill McLive. Let's get to the phones, Dave. Line one, good morning. You're on Bill McLive. Hey, Billy. Hey, Lou. What are you thinking, man? So I think we need more of what Dave does and what we do here on the show because I don't think enough people know of all the things that happened back at that time. So I mean, Dave, didn't uh, – most of the founders, if not all, believe that the federal government should not know how much money each individual American was making. Oh, that's a question I have no clue on. Dave, you got any insights there? I can't hear Dave. 
Okay, let me let you go, Lou. You can pick him up on the radio. I, I, I've never heard that. What I, they did believe very firmly in privacy, and they did believe in, in with with a couple of exceptions, they believed that the federal government should be very limited, and that was the intent of it. Um, the Fourteenth Amendment, with its concept of incorporation, really started to turn the states into the federal government, and that's the point where the government started inserting itself into business that didn't necessarily belong to it. But the problem with governments is they're made up of people and people who want to, who see themselves as rulers. And as the anti-federalist Brutus said, rulers are, are just like everyone else. They're going to use their power for their benefit. And when you start removing the detriments to that, when you start making this the populist instead of controlled, that's when where's the accountability i mean you start seeing people there, there were people before the 17th amendment who stayed in the senate for a long time but not nearly as many as now now it's a power trip and that's it's become all about power and the federal government wants to be in your business because they don't see it as your money they see it as their money to control you let's take a look at that for a minute because if you look at the electoral maps of which states are controlled by the left and the right, would the Senate ever go to Democratic control or would it stay pretty much close to red all the time, Dave? I'm, I'm not sure I follow you. If, are you well, saying... if the states were appointing senators instead of if state governments, Florida's senators would be Republican, period. Right? Yes, and California's senators would be would be Democratic. There would be some states, but see, the problem they had before the 17th Amendment was, yes, the states appointed it, usually the state legislatures. There were a few states where it became an electoral issue in the state government elections. You know, who are you going to vote for for Senate would become. And but it, it really was seen as a bribery position. How much are you willing to pay to get this position? Who's whose campaign are you willing to fund? So that I'll vote for you. And let's pretend that wouldn't be that way today, right? Who's, who brings the most money into the into the game? And you ran into states. This actually happened. You ran into states where there were so many people trying to bribe their way in that they couldn't make up a mind, their minds. And so there were many seats that were unfilled because the states were essentially paralyzed, which meant that a state was being deprived of its suffrage in the Senate, although by itself. And this was upsetting people. If you look at it in terms of, of, of the 19-teens, you can kind of see where the people of the United States were getting frustrated because the federal government wasn't working the way it was supposed to work because the states were, the Senate was being corrupted. And so they came up with a solution. Was it the best solution? Probably not. The Utah solution was probably the better one, but they weren't willing to listen to Utah because, you know, Utah was a strange place in those days. So it was, it was there. But the Utah solution, by the way, was a combination of election and uh, appointment approval by the governor. So it was, uh, I I don't know. I I look back at that. I look back at that conversation with my grandfather of blessed memory, who my grandfather was a very moralistic, hardcore conservative Christian. He honestly believed that the things that he wanted were what was best for everybody. Mm -hmm. What he could never understand was, you can't enforce your will on everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I think many people in the progressive era were trying to find a way 
to force their will on everybody else without looking like they were forcing their will on everybody else. Sounds like they might have been some shrewd politicians, in all honesty. Line one, you're up with Dave Bowman. Good morning. Uh, Dave referenced uh, Bruce Shaber versus Union Pacific Railroad. Isn't that the decision where the Supreme Court actually defined the word income? Yes, it is. Yeah, Dave says, yes, it is. Interesting thought. You have more on it? Well, they also said well, hang on, Dave. That, that wages couldn't be considered income because income was a gain from any source and wages was an equal trade. Is that correct? Interesting thought. Dave, go ahead with the answer. Yeah, it is. And it, again, it's a it's a 1913 decision, so I'm trying to avoid all the complicated elements of it. But in essence, they upheld the 1913, they declared the 1913 Revenue Act as constitutional, which meant that it really didn't matter what the court said. They're going to go with the law, the 1913 Revenue Act, which defined income from whatever source, which is what the 16th Amendment says. Yeah, they did define it, but if you're not going to, if you're not going to limit yourself to that, then there you go. And and politicians aren't going to limit. When have politicians ever limited themselves to whatever the Supreme Court said? They've always said, no, it's it's the way we do it. And then you run into the issue of if if they don't get the ruling they want from the Supreme Court, they just amend it again, then to what they do want. So. Mm-hmm. That's the direction it takes. Yeah. And if you read the 16th Amendment, it's income from whatever source derived. It's The Supreme Court can can wax poetic all it wants, but the amendment says from whatever source derived, without apportionment. So guess what? We can stick our hands into everybody's pocket for whatever we want. No doubt. Dave, what are you into for the week ahead, man? Well, like most people, I'm fascinated by 13-hour searches for classified documents of people who said that it was irresponsible of the Oz guy to do this. So I'm mm-hmm. probably going to take a look at that. Uh, we're going to continue our look at the Anti-Federalist positions uh, via the eyes of Brutus, the Anti-Federalist Brutus, not the Roman Brutus. And uh, next week... That happens on Constitution Thursday, right? Yes, it does. Uh-huh. And then uh, next week, I think, as it stands right now, we're going to talk about the 13th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. All right. Very, very good. Anything else on tap for a day? Oh, you've got cold weather coming, don't you? Yes, we do. It's going to be down in the 20s up here. They're talking snow again, Bill. Snow. It's February. It's not supposed to snow. Well, it's technically oh, that's January. That's when snow but... happened, Dave. I thought it was when it was supposed to happen. No, we get our snow in December. But Is that... now all of a sudden it's pushing into January. I'm from the Appalachian region, Dave. Snow didn't come really until January, February, and, you know, as late as Easter. Usually had an Easter squall here on the East Coast. That's the way it was in Colorado. Now, when I was in Georgia, we had two snowstorms. One in 93, we had a blizzard. And then we had a small one in 95, I think, but... That's before you took your uh, Atlanta anarchy to the Pacific Northwest and started all of the riots and burning and hey, all of that. The good news, Bill, is that the Seattle City Councilwoman that's responsible for all that up here is not uh-huh. going to be on the council anymore. The bad news Lovely. is, the bad news is, she wants to take her program national. So, West Cocoa Pharmacy made the hour possible. See you tomorrow, wide open Wednesday.